On this episode, we're going to dive into the world of enzyme technology. There's definitely a lot of chatter in the marketplace about microbials, and we'll sit down with Dr. Greg Willoughby from Indiana and Helena product manager Steve Bailey from Wisconsin to learn more about VersaShield technology that's found in Zypro. And we'll better understand why this enzyme technology is different from other products in the marketplace. Plus, we'll catch up with Jody Lawrence in Nashville as he shares some global insight on how the soybean crop in Argentina is directly impacting U.S. producers. And finally, we want to be sure to invite all of our listeners to join us at the Commodity Classic in Orlando as we celebrate our one-year anniversary of the FieldLink podcast. If you can't make it to Orlando, be sure to download our anniversary special as we visit with growers, agronomists, and industry leaders about the latest in technology as well as grain markets. Stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. Okay, and we're back to FieldLink here. In this CornWise segment, we're going to focus on the power of enzymes. There's no secret that growers today are being bombarded with biological products from really all corners of the earth, and as well as the media. And at Helena, we know that there are some really good options to incorporate into your operation, but we also know that there can sometimes be a lot of confusion. Joining us today is Steve Bailey. Steve is a product manager for Helena from the state of Wisconsin, and he's going to help us become more bean wise as he helps us better understand how Zypro is different from many other biological products that are on the market today. Steve, welcome to FieldLink. Thanks, Phil. Steve, uh, before we deep dive into Zypro and, and becoming more corn wise, tell us a little bit about your background. Where's home? Yeah, so home southwest uh, part of the state, southwest Wisconsin. Grew up on a dairy farm, went to college, got my agribusiness degree in uh, in ag, obviously. Got done with that, uh, went back to my dad, and, and uh, I was ready to farm, right? But uh, unfortunately, at that time, he uh, he told me I'm going to find something else to do. So that's when I started my career in agriculture as an agronomy production specialist. Uh, did that for about eight, eight and a half years. Um, learned a lot of the, the business, right? How to spray, how to scout, uh, sell seed, products, all that. Helped farmers, and I sure. loved it. Had an opportunity then uh, to become a regional sales manager for a seed corn company. Did that for four years. And then uh, at that point in time, Helena got a hold of my name and uh, decided that'd be a fun thing to do. I, I loved seed, but I missed chemicals and fertilizer and, and talked to the farmers about the whole acre. Um, so took that opportunity. I was a wholesale rep for them for seven years, and now I've been a proprietary products manager for just over two years. So. Well, uh, we're excited to have you here today with us, Steve. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Zypro um, and, and what that product's all so about. So what's, what's fun about that is, is there's a lot of confusion. What's the difference between a microbial? What's the difference between an enzyme? And, and our Zypro product is an enzyme that is actually protected by a product called VersaShield Formulation Technology. Now, what that means is, is it's a protein core that allows that enzyme to live off of and be protected in the soil. So it doesn't matter if you're in a formulation, meaning in starters, UAN, a liquid solution, or if you're actually in the soil, um, that VersaShield formulation technology gives that enzyme the ability to do what it wants to do. Uh, it is a catalyst, so it will break down in the soil and continue uh, to move throughout that soil for about 60 days. So wow. pretty cool uh, little concept. It said a lot there, but uh, love the product. I mean, it, it's... It's being utilized in almost every corner of my territory. 
Wow. So, so when we talk about Zypro being a, you know, it falls kind of into that biological space. There's a huge difference between microbials and products like Zypro, which is an enzyme based product. Help us better understand the difference between those two, you know, variables. Great question. So, uh, microbes are, if you take a cross section or a slice of soil, there's millions and billions of bacteria or microbials already in there. Uh, plants don't necessarily use microbes. They're looking to use enzymes. So due to the fact that we are an enzyme based product, uh, we're one step closer to affecting that plant in a positive way. Right. Um, what that also does for us is an enzyme, when you put it in a jug, we're not worried about shelf life as much, right? So an organism or a, a microbe is a bacteria that's living. It needs oxygen. You put me in a bag, you cut my oxygen off, it's not going to be a good day. Right. Now, if you put a product like enzyme or like Zypro, which is an enzyme in a jug, that's not as big of a concern. The other thing that's positive about an enzyme is you're not as reliant on soil moisture, temperature, and all of that. Uh, this phospholipase enzyme, which is what Zypro is, you put that in the soil, it's native. So it's going to go to work right away, start uh, start breaking down and moving throughout that soil. And it'll actually stimulate more microbes in the soil to start secreting more uh, uh, enzymes to make sure that there's more nutrients available in that rhizosphere around that root. So one of the advantages there, you know, I'm trying to bring this back to some pr- practicality. You know, you're both... You and I both are from the Midwest and, and, you know, when it's planting time, boy, we're planting corn and all of a sudden we do get those pop-up storms that are pretty common in, in, in the Midwest and really across most of the corn planting country. What can happen if a grower has a, you know, a, a planter full of starter and it's sitting and now we have to sit two, three days until we come back there. What's going to happen to a lot of the other microbials that are on the market versus Ipro? So great question. Um, if we put a microbe in a starter situation, that's food for it, right? So it's looking for nitrogen, it's looking for energy. The nice part about Zypro being an enzyme is when it's in that formulation, and we've tested this, uh, I've, I've seen it with the R&D department when they came the, to us with the product, is they actually put it in a formulation and simulated a, a rain or an event where it had to sit there. Uh, the activity of that enzyme, even seven days out, was still above 90% active. Uh, I mentioned the versus shield formulation technology right. earlier, right? So without that protein core to protect it, that actually drops off pretty quick. So that's what sets us apart. We are the only company out there with versus shield formulation technology. When you put that protein core with that enzyme and put it in a formulation, that protects it. So we've got data showing out 30 days where we're still really, really active. So if I'm a grower and I see that or understand mm-hmm. that, that, that the importance of versus shield formulation technology, I'm probably not as stressed or that's one less stress I have knowing that that's in my tank. Now, some of the competitors in my past job, uh, sure. we would sell some biologicals. Uh, there's chances that there could be some issues in that tank. You might start growing something because that starter is a food source for that biological. So uh, been working with Zypro for four, maybe five years now. Okay. I've not ever had a problem with it, Bill. It's wow. been great. Good. So tell us a little bit about strategy. What is the strategy in your market that you coach growers on? How should they apply and utilize Zypro in their CornWise program? Anybody that has a starter system on their planter, whether it's in furrow or two by two, that's where it's home. That's where uh, we originally built that product for. 
Um, so the nice part is I'd mentioned earlier, it'll work in the soil for 60 days. Um, we talk a lot about it'll move in that soil about six inches in 30 days. If we think about how um, in 30 days what ha happens from when we put that corn kernel in the ground in 30 days, we're hoping that plant's up and running and it's starting to grow roots and, sure. and grow from there. So uh, what's fun about that is it's extremely sa stable. Uh, when it's sitting in the ground there, it's, it's also very stable and continuing to break down more phosphorus, nitrogen, and potassium for that plant to pull. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's kind of a, a key thing. You know, when we go ahead and utilize Zypro in that starter situation, you know, getting it in early, uh, you know, you're going to experience that. Once you said, like you'd mentioned earlier, hitting V5, that's the time when you're really going to start to see uh, that particular product working. And it's important to get out and walk those fields at that time. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. Um what I love with this product is we get to try so many products. And in my job, we've got over 500 products as a proprietary products manager we get to play with. But that's one product. If you put it out, whether it's in two by two or in furrow, like I'd mentioned before, um, there's time for that to work. And you start creating more mass on that plant. So at V5, you should start seeing a pull up uh, th that crop to pull apart if you do an untreated check versus treated. And you'll start seeing, especially at V7, potentially there's going to be another growth stage ahead where we have that Zypro. Um, so it's one of those products that you don't necessarily have to wait for the combine to come out and see if the yield does uh, do what we're talking right, about. Right. Um, I would encourage anybody that does a split out there, get out there, grab a spade. And usually I use a potato spade so we don't cut the roots off. Sure. Dig a foot around that plant, pull it up, wash the roots off, go get the untreated check, and then set them side by side on your tailgate of your truck. And that's when you can really start seeing the difference versus standing in the field, you can't see what's below ground unless you dig it up. Now, one thing I forgot to mention earlier um, to get back to your applications is we've actually started playing with that in a wide drop application. Okay. So in Wisconsin, everybody's trying to be uh, do more with less, right? So we want to use less nitrogen to grow more bushels and then be environmentally friendly. Um, so we started splitting, applying our nitrogen with wide drops. And actually when we've been putting Zypro in there, cause I don't, you know me well enough, I don't sure. like to just leave things alone. Um, we're seeing great results there too. Wow. And the reason I believe that we're seeing that in that application is if you look at V6, the uptake curve of nutrients in that corn plant, it gets near vertical. Wow. Uh, so if we start talking about what that phospholipase enzymes does in the soil and releasing more nutrients and stimulate more root growth, um, we're basically giving that plant a Red Bull and letting it really go to town. Wow. And I think, you know, that's really interesting from a corn perspective, a corn-wise program. There's really three pretty good opportunities there, two that are very proven. And now this other one you're exploring here uh, to be a good application with that particular product. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, you know, earlier on, we talked a little bit about, you know, some other wise programs like bean wise. I mean, you're exploring utilizing Zypro in soybean program. Absolutely. So um, at first I was a little scared to do it. You know, I didn't know if I was supposed to be or not, but sure. uh, I did have a plot planner and I got a couple of buddies at farm. I'm like, hey, I've seen some great results on corn. Let's see if we can push these beans. So a lot of people are coming to me as a product manager and saying, hey, I'm hitting 60 bushel beans. I'm hitting 65. I can't get through that. Uh, yield barrier. And to me, let's try something else. You know, if we sure. can see we've had proven results with corn. So we started playing with it in soybeans and really where we were putting it in there is guys are starting to plant a lot more beans with a corn planter. We threw water in those tanks, 
wanted to clean out the the lines anyways and then put the Zypro in there. And, and right now I've got a 2.1 bushel increase by just adding wow. that in an infro application with soybeans. Wow. Now, one other thing I don't know if I can talk about or not, but I'm going to is um, I love alfalfa. Right? Yeah. So grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, I was in Colorado at a meeting talking to some colleagues and they were telling me about some research they've done with Zypro on alfalfa. So this coming year, I've got several uh, colleagues and friends that we are going to be testing the bejeebers out of that bad boy. Uh, with alfalfa in Wisconsin. And the reason that I'm so excited about that is is uh, looking at their data when they were putting that on alfalfa and they did two real, really two different programs for application, they were seeing over a half bushel increase, or I'm um, sorry, a half ton uh, per acre increase of dry matter. Wow. Protein was going up too. So these dairies are looking for any uh, help we can give them to grow a high quality alfalfa. Well, and I think that's a really great point, you know, if in, from their data that they had seeing about a half a ton more per acre of, of alfalfa. When resources are limited, especially in some parts of the world, uh, in terms of water, in terms of nitrogen, uh, we still have a huge need for this alfalfa crop, for especially for dairy and other livestock. Wow, this might be a heck of an opportunity. So, so from what you know, Steve, what's going to be your approach this year with those alfalfa growers? When will you apply Zypro? Yeah, so there's there's two approaches that they took with it, and this is how I'm going to approach it as well. Is we're going to do an application uh, right at dormancy break, and we're going to do it two different ways. Uh, labeled rate on Zypro and corn and beans is eight ounces. Okay. Now on alfalfa, we're going to try twenty ounces at dormancy break and not apply it again during the season. So they did some of that in, in, in the Western states and saw some really good results. But what I was really excited about is we cut that crop every year or every, call it every 30 days. Uh, it's a perennial crop. It does come back, obviously. But what they did is they did an eight-ounce application at dormancy break, and then after first crop cutting, they did a second application of eight ounces, and then again after second crop, they did a third application. Now, those results showed some really big numbers that got me really excited. Um, I believe with this product and the data they've seen, as long as we see that in our area, we're going to be able to help these dairy guys uh, really capture some higher quality feed, um, which will help them in, in many different ways. And if we can get a more yield, maybe they can use that acre for something else in years to come. Sure. Well, it's very exciting product, very exciting uh, technology, uh, you know, that's very different from anything else out on the market, especially with some of our formulation technology that is very proprietary to Helena uh, in Zypro. And, and you know, hey, uh, our corn, and we're, we're trying to be corn wise today. Corn is our focus for this product, but certainly as you've illustrated, Steve, there's some opportunities in other crops. Uh, we've got other uh, product managers and other folks around the country utilizing in sugarcane, as well as many other products like rice and so forth. So uh, lots of things happening with Zypro. We're going to encourage growers to go out and take uh, experience it, touch it this year, and do exactly what you said. Try it. Get out there about V5. Dig around. And don't do the 55-mile-hour <laughs> uh, scouting job on this product. You got to see it in season and when it's really doing its best. Yep. I always joke with uh, my sales reps, you know, get back to your childhood roots and grab that shovel and go play in the sand, right? <laughs> go dig in. Absolutely. Steve Bailey, thanks so much uh, for joining us here today on FieldLink. We look forward to uh, experiencing Zypro this year and becoming more corn-wise. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. And joining us from Nashville is our 
commodity uh, strategist, uh, Jody Lawrence. Jody, uh, welcome back to FieldLink. Bill, good to be back uh, as the calendar is now turned to March with uh, people peering around the corner at the cleaning up their planters and getting things set and ready for another U.S. planting and growing season. It really seems like this winter has uh, flown by even quicker than normal. Yeah, Mother Nature's definitely taking a turn, uh, getting some good weather in certain parts of the country, still getting some, uh, you know, some cold spells in certain other parts. Uh, but uh, overall, boy, spring is getting close. And Jody, uh, these commodity markets are really reflecting some of the, I guess, uh, some of the peaks and valleys going on right now. Yeah, you've got a lot of things really influencing it. And the biggest one, uh, is Argentina's drought. Argentina remains stuck in their uh, 2012 uh, you know, terrible weather situation uh, and huge loss of yield and yield potential. And it is, you know, two months ago when you looked at all of the weather events and you looked at Pacific temperatures and the transition from La Nina to El Nino, and we thought that it was going to be you know, more rain and, and more conducive to finishing this crop. It just hasn't turned in time. And as we get to March 6th today, all the uh, everybody in the U.S. can think about it this way, just to add six months. They're sitting on their August uh, 6th, their early August on their crop development. And with their forecast uh, almost uh, uh devoid of all moisture until the 15th or 16th and 90s to 100s for temperatures, this crop is really uh, starting to deteriorate at even a more rapid pace than a lot of people expected. And with that, uh, the major thing that's going to happen this week, and unfortunately it's going to happen just before we're able to get this podcast out, is Wednesday's USDA report and then Thursday's uh, Brazil's USDA CONAB report on their yield and yield expe- expectations for Brazil, Argentina, and South America. And the uh, expectation in the uh, you know in the trade is that you're going to see significant cuts uh, of you know potentially seven to eight million metric tons, 250 to 300 million bushels in both Argentina's bean and corn crop. And the problem that that runs into, despite Brazil's uh, record crop that is being harvested, is that Argentina is the world's number one exporter of bean meal and bean oil. So even if there are enough beans uh, in total in South America, there's still a major logistics issue that you've got to get those extra beans from Brazil to Argentina and the time delay that happens there to get them crushed and to get them in the pipeline. So this is why you have got uh, bean meal at uh, not record high prices, but certainly the highest prices that we've seen over the past several months with bean oil uh, really surging to keep up with it just as crude oil gets back above $80, uh, testing really about the six-week high in crude oil. So you have a lot of uh, interesting bullish factors in beans that at the beginning of the year, we really thought would have been mitigated by now simply by Argentina's weather getting better, which it has not. So uh, this is going to put more emphasis on 
U.S. bean acres and U.S. production if the trend continues and Argentina sees, you know, a crop of only 65 to 70 percent of their normal yield. Yeah, we're definitely starting to see, you know, that demand for U.S. soybeans kind of increase here with some of this news, recent news, really, in Argentina. And then you couple it a little bit with some of the domestic demand as it relates to biofuels. Uh, I know that there's a few plants, about three plants going up in North Dakota, and that's a big transition in certain parts of the Dakotas. The demand for soybeans is going to be greater in that Minnesota, North Dakota market, uh, seeing some other crops like canola um, and maybe some other unique crops, maybe not being as popular this year in soybeans picking up some of those acres. Well, that's going to be certainly a challenge uh, on one of our recent visits when we were going across uh, Helena and doing Helena meetings across northern Illinois. Uh, we drove by the site of uh, a renewable uh, biodiesel plant that is going to come online later this spring, and it's just enormous. And then the knowledgeable people that I talked to, uh, one of the gentlemen's on the board, a big farmer up there was telling me the bushel demand per day that they're going to need, and it's astronomic. It makes you wonder uh, exactly how all this is going to keep up, because it reminds me a little bit of the kind of the very beginning of the ethanol industry while corn was much cheaper and we had more corn available uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago when ethanol was really uh, in its uh, you know infancy, you're at a completely different point in this market and just world agriculture with what bean oil is now being used for. And if the U.S., turns into a net importer of bean oil, which it very easily could through all this renewable fuel, especially the biodiesel, that uh, you really start to shift kind of the matrix of uh, how are we going to find, just like you mentioned, where are these acres going to come from if we are now going to need 90 to 92 million acres of corn and 90 to 92 million acres of beans because that we simply, uh, you know, we're not Brazil. We can't just go cut down a bunch of trees and add three, four million acres of really prime farm ground. We've got to make sacrifices. Does it come from wheat? Does it come from cotton? Does it come from other some of the other miners that you're talking about? Uh, and it's, uh, it, you know, it, next it, you know, I almost said the next five years, but really the next 18 months to 24 months is going to be very telling about how much uh, bean oil and bean crush is going to be used in the U.S. Uh, that's definitely going to be a transition in the overall agriculture climate, and it's certainly going to drive some of the uh, decisions that growers make uh, in their planting decisions. Jody, you mentioned the USDA uh Intentions reports coming up here in a few days. We've got a lot of things happening there. What 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 are some of your early projections right now? Well, looking at Wednesday's report, we think that uh, it's simply it just and I'll just start at corn and work our way down through everything. Uh, the corn, we're going to see stocks go up a little bit simply because we're not selling any. We uh, our exports price is not competitive with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, and they have had, you know, wide open doors to be able to get everything out through the winter. They didn't have nearly as cold a winter as they normally do. That slows their shipments. The 
uh, grain uh, export corridor is wide open, although the date is coming up for renewal on March 18th, which is going to be interesting. And let's see, today is the 6th. So, yeah, we're it'll be a week from Saturday that we'll know something. So the next two weeks of back and forth lobbying with Russia and Ukraine are going to certainly be market movers. And uh, when you l- look at you know, a couple of the other things that may come out in the report, uh, bean uh, ending stocks expected to drop a little bit, a bit. Wheat, simply because we're not selling any of that either, should go up. But really, the big thing is going to be what uh, the world uh, uh, agriculture statistic uh, WASDE thinks of Argentina's uh, bean and corn production because that is that's going to be the market mover. And if they come, if the USDA just bites the bullet uh, it, earlier this year than normal, and they do it in the March report rather than the April or May, we could see an aggressive cut. And if they're anywhere close to what the private, respected private analysts are coming out, you could get a real eye-opening surprise to the market to a lot of people who are just, who always seem to think that, well, it'll all work itself out in the end. But the bean problem in Argentina is uh, going to be the biggest thing that happens this week. Well, and definitely, you know, uh, one area of the world that we haven't talked a lot about today, but certainly we've talked about a lot over the last year, is China. Uh, you know, uh, we continue to hear some rumblings uh, about sanctions if, if uh, potentially China backs up uh, Russia uh, in this whole war in Ukraine. The U.S. is making some moves there to potentially, or some threats potentially, to uh, put some restrictions there. That could really change the game a little bit for U.S. producers. Oh, it it, it becomes a, a major problem because it, when you begin to uh, directly oppose almost every action of your largest customer, when you full when you fully know that your largest customer is making significant inroads with your biggest competition, then, you know, if we lose China's market to Brazil, there'll be some shuffling of chairs around, you know, who who sells what to whom uh, in the world table. But Brazil, uh, Brazil's ability to con- continually expand production year after year does become a problem. And if China becomes independent through their own agriculture growth, as well as a growing alliance with Brazil, Argentina, and you know South America in general, it, it puts us in a position where we have no almost no leverage over them uh, on whatever they would do in Taiwan from an agricultural standpoint, from a food security standpoint. And if they back Russia, uh, there's not a heck of a lot we can do other than just send more money to the Ukraine, which uh, this administration is is very fond of. And it's not not the worst tactic, but uh, it's very difficult to see how uh, we untangle ourselves from deteriorating relationships uh, with China and how they're involved with Russia uh, and, and the whole thing in Ukraine uh, and get to a quick end where everybody is happy uh, and sitting at the same table. Yeah, definitely a lot of global turmoil and unrest out there really 
uh, taking place currently and probably going to continue for several months here, uh, if not years. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as American producers, we just need to stay on top of our game and keep our plan uh, steady, if you will. Uh, any other news uh, coming forward, Jody? Some other other reports coming up? Uh, at the end of the month, the stocks and seedings report is going to be a big one because after the late February Ag Outlook Conference that really tanked the markets when the USDA came out with larger than expected corn acreage, uh, almost to 92 million, and then a significant jump in trend line yield up to 181 and a half. We are hoping that they uh, tap the brakes a little bit on some of their enthusiasm for this year's corn crop, but we are starting to hear simply because price of natural gas has fallen so far that the producers that did not buy uh, a lot of their nitrogen-based products that have fallen significantly in price over the last two to three months, that they their profitability has really gotten into a sweet spot for corn. And if they feel confident with lower input costs, then and we get some corn acres or some bean acres or other acres, uh, full season wheat acres, potentially cotton acres switching over to corn because of the better margins, then you can you know, really start to see some pieces move around in this puzzle. This goes back to make the bean market even more bullish than what we talked about. If we, you know, plant, gosh, just, excuse me, just 87 million acres of beans rather than 88 or 88 and a half. So uh, the end of the month report that comes from farmer surveys is going to be very closely watched and to see if the USDA backs off of the the trend line yield going up to 181 and a half. Well, definitely a lot of things happening right now in the marketplace and a lot of tough decisions that growers are going to have to make here in the next really 30 days or so. Uh, but a lot of good information coming their way to, you know, put themselves in the best position. Jody, want to thank you for joining us here today on Field Link. And look, we're going to be catching up with you in just a handful of days down in Orlando at the Commodity Classic. Uh, Jody, you're going to put putting on a few sessions there on Friday. Yes, really looking forward to getting back out. It, uh, it you know, post COVID to be able to go to these big shows. We certainly had a great time at the uh, Mid South Gin Show in Memphis uh, last week, and to be able to do it on in in Orlando, uh, the most expensive place in the world. Uh, if you own kids, and uh, to be able to get out and see everybody finally after. You know, a, a, such a long break. I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to have a lot to talk about, especially with the reports this week. And just uh, in general, looking forward to seeing and visiting with everybody. Well, we certainly want to invite growers to stop by at the booth in Orlando at the Helena booth. Jody's going to be there. Boy, we'll grab you to the side. And, you know, certainly looking forward to some chats there to, you know, take a look at this information that's coming forward and put some good strategies together. With that, Jody, I want to thank you for joining us here on FieldLink, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here in Orlando soon. Okay, thank you, Bill. And joining me here today on FieldLink is Dr. Greg Willoughby. Uh, Greg is a technical services manager out of Indiana. Greg, uh, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you very much, Bill. Glad to be here. Hey, it's great to have you here today uh, in the studio, Greg. Uh, before we deep dive into uh, the world of biologicals, and we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, tell us a little bit about you. What's your background? Where's home? So home is actually from Southern Kentucky. I grew up on a tobacco and dairy farm down there and uh, moved to Indiana about 30 years ago uh, to do some graduate work. Got my PhD at Purdue 
University and then did uh, a stint there on staff as an extension fertility specialist. Now been with Helena for 21 years. Well, Greg, we're really excited to have you today uh, in the office. And we're, we're exploring the area of biologicals. You know, there's it's a big word. It's thrown around a lot in the media. Uh, you can't open up a trade show magazine or anything and find something about biologicals. Uh, but there's also a lot of uncertainty around those biologicals. Can you help uh, help us ground truth and better understand, you know, the variances of biologicals? Yeah, so the whole biological industry has really took off. Uh, it is the buzzword of the day. And it's gotten so bad, actually, that back in 2019, um, USDA put out a report to try to um, put some structure to the whole conversation. Not from a regulatory standpoint, at least not yet, but really trying to, to group these things. And then several academic universities have built on that and have started doing testing within those categories. So they broke things down to, number one, things that are plant growth regulators. And in that regard, there are things that actually have EPA registration numbers on them. So they're actually like true ag chemical stuff. Uh, they broke out anything that is a humic or from a humic ore. And so that's brought in our humic and our fulvic acid type uh, products. And then seaweed extracts was another category. And that seaweed extract, uh, there's 10,000 different species of seaweed. Wow. And it's the new science. There's a lot of work trying to figure out what they can do, what extractants do, what things. And then lastly, we have the microorganisms and enzymes. And that's really where the big splash has been today, at least from, from what we see in social media, is people looking at different organisms get in to try to do different things. And in real world, when we talk about microorganisms, what we're really after is the enzymes they produce. Because the bugs themselves, as I call them, uh, the microorganisms, they produce these enzymes. But these enzymes are very short-lived in the soil. I mean, they're only lasting a week or so. And so it's very hard to deliver those enzymes. So hence, the, the science is trying to figure out how to increase the native populations of those microorganisms so that they will produce the enzymes in a longer term. There's, there's a wide range. I mean, there's like four different categories, right, of biologicals out there. Right. And, and the one that we want to focus on today is a product uh, like Zypro. And where would that fit into and in what category? So Zypro is Helena's entry into the enzyme portion of that market. Um, now, as I said, enzymes in the soil don't last very long. Um, microorganisms being introduced in the soil don't last very long either. They're, they're very highly competitive against from the native population. So it's hard to get them to survive. So, so we've always had this challenge. Um, with Zypro, we've actually uh, have some exclusivity to a new patent that actually is a protectorant to an enzyme. So we can layer any enzyme into this VersaShield technology, uh, which is the name of the, of, the, of the patent, and allows us to protect that enzyme so that enzyme now can be in the soil system and stay for up to 60 days viable in the soil system versus only being there and then being gone in seven. Wow. So it's quite a big leap in advancement from, from that uh, category of the biologicals. 
And there's definitely, you know, a lot of difference in those biologicals that we hear about, read about, uh, you know, different advertisements and so forth. But having the versus shield technology spreads that risk out uh, for, for 60 days is what I'm hearing. Right, right. So it's it gives us that, I won't say that it's a slow release, but these enzymes get uh, cannibalized very quickly in the soil. And so they have to be constantly replenished. And that's what the Versus Shield does is it lets us maintain a steady flow of that enzyme into that soil environment uh, to where it is always in a constant level providing that, that uh, enzymatic influence, which the enzyme we're f- focusing on there is a phosphatase enzyme. So we're looking at organic phosphorus release from the soil. So so this particular version of Zypro is tied to phosphorus. Okay, so so what kind of advantage is that for the average grower? Why is that important? So when we look at corn development, um, the f- to maximize ear length, we have to have so many pounds of phosphorus into that plant in the very early stages. And in addition, we have to maintain a phosphorus content in that plant up through the sixth leaf stage. Um, that is the most determining of a yield parameter outside of the nitrogen status of the plant is phosphorus content. So that's the reason the whole focus is on P. Right. So anytime we can continually release a phosphorus source that's in the soil and keep that phosphorus in a constant supply to the plant, then we're, we're trying to maximize the potential ear set that that plant will be able to achieve by the time it gets to pollination. And Zypro is a fairly new product uh, to Helena. It's been on the market for some time. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the yield results and some of your trials that you've done uh, throughout the Midwest. Yeah, so um, Zypro, we brought it into the market for the farmer side about three years ago. Uh, prior to that, it was in testing for about two years. So, so we've got about six years of experience in the product of itself. Um, yield ranges are numbering four to six bushels per acre, um, depending on the geography. And if we're talking like manure systems or conventional synthetic fertilizers, you know, we're in that 75, 80% uh, success rate range of having a, a positive ROI into that product usage. So that's a pretty good run uh, for the average grower that, you know, is trying to bump their yields. How do you, how, based on some of your research, what's some of the better ways to apply Zypro? So Zypro is really geared toward the root system. So enzymatic activity along a plant is usually happening within just a few millimeters of where the root's at. So we either want to put it with the root, so an in-furrow fertilizer application, uh, or we want to put it somewhere in a concentrated band where roots are going to be drawn to that. So two by two row starters, uh, even some side dress type operations, or if we're doing a liquid banding type and then um, precision planting back on top or very close to that band um, is really the most advantageous. It's all about putting it where the roots are going to encounter it or putting it where the roots are going to be to maximize that activity and that rhizosphere that exists around the plant roots. In order to really take advantage of that phosphorus and really, I guess, you know, take advantage of that root zone and really maximize yield from that perspective. Right. Because anytime a plant gets phosphorus, one of the first things that it tries to do is it tries to grow more roots. Right. So there is a relationship between root mass and phosphorus availability. 
So anytime we increase that phosphorus availability, we're going to get a larger root mass. And anytime we have a larger root mass, we start encountering more nutrients that may not be as mobile in the soil like zincs, manganeses, um, coppers, and things of that sort. In addition, we access more water. Right. And so now then we start tying in the water removal nutrients like nitrogen and boron and sulfur that things that in potassium things that can move in the water or exist in the water phase, the more roots we have, particularly if it turns dry, it becomes even more critical. The bigger the root system, the more access to nutrients that we have. Well, it's really when you kind of sit back and think about it, it's, it's it, Zypro activates those enzymes, those protected enzymes and allows that plant to, you know, access more phosphorus and, and create that greater ball. Hence taking advantage of the fertility that you've already put out there that you typically don't get unless you have that type of stimulation. Correct. And the other thing that happens is as we move to higher population corn and where corn plants are close together, our root mass actually has decreased somewhat in size. Mm. So that's decrease in size, even though it works to our advantage of having more ears per acre, we actually become a little more challenged in supplying nutrients, particularly in high demand times. So when we're trying to grain fill, or if the environment gives us hot temperatures or dry conditions, that root mass becomes even more critical in that production system of trying to maximize what we've put our investment and our fertilizer dollars out there. Well, I think the big key to all of this is it keeps coming about. There's a lot of good products out there, but we've tested this product. We've got some time under our belt in not just corn, but in a lot of different crops. And it all comes back to the Versus Shield. It really does from, from, from my understanding. That's exactly right. We could not do anything in this enzyme category because, and we've tried different things, but nothing will pass through our research and development department of having consistent performance over multiple years, positive return on the investment, and some uniqueness in the marketplace. And this gives us all three of those is that, you know, we've got six years of replicated trials as well as field trials showing the efficacy, proving the return on the investment. But then in addition to that, it's a patented product so or technology. So we, we have that uniqueness in the marketplace that no other enzyme product out there can be. And the other advantage that we have is that patent, that VersaShield technology can work on any other enzyme. Mm. And so as we identify enzymes that have other potentials for, for other things in the soil root system and that soil health parameter, we can layer that in with VersaShield and we can bring that to market in the future. Well, uh, Greg, I want to thank you uh, very much for joining us here today on FieldLink to, you know, help us better understand this wild, wild west of biologicals and and really helping us break this down to better understand how, uh, you know, products like Zypro and the uh, protected enzymes uh, technology it, it can provide an advantage to a grower. Yeah, I think that's this is the future from our standpoint into that last category of the microorganisms and enzymes. This is this is our first foray into that. It's the only thing we have in that biological category. And I think it poises us very good for future growth into that um, without having to actually deal with live organisms and all the challenges that come with those from a storability standpoint and a longevity standpoint. Yeah, you know, I, uh, speaking of storability, you know, that's the one of the beautiful advantages with Zypro with a VersaShield is some of the storability, the shelf life compared to other products that are out there. Yeah, so like you get some of the microbes, some of them are, are uh, dormant spores they'll talk about. Others have to be refrigerated. Uh, if we go into the enzyme world, 
you may only have 30, 45 days of life in the jug once it's put into the jug. So that inherently causes a problem. Uh, that versus shield technology gives us two years of shelf life wow. for that product. And so, so that really helps us in the whole inventory management and being able to uh, buffer ourselves against product availability or shipping or, th- or any kind of transportation issues that develop. So we've got a much readily available supply that's, that's lasting longer into a, a farmer's operation. Well, and I think that's really important. Uh, you know, the last few years, we've all dealt with supply chain issues and so forth. And having a product that's uh, like Zypro that has that longer shelf life allows for, for some more flexibility. But also from the grower perspective, uh, you know, we those of us that are from the Midwest, now if you've got a tank full of Zypro and a storm comes up, you know, you have a little more stability there. You can still take advantage of, of that uh, particular product that's in the tank five, six days down the road. Correct, yeah. I mean, some of these microorganisms, if you're putting them with starter materials, uh, depending on what's in the starter, you may only have four hours to be able to get them into the field. So wow. so 24 hours at most, um, whereas as this versus shield technology gives us, you know, the rain out possibilities. Right. Being able to still be viable at the end of the day. Dr. Greg Willoughby, thank you very much for taking the time today to visit with us about Zypro and Versus Shield technology and the whole world of biologicals uh, that we're all, it's the Wild West out there and helping us better understand this technology. My appreciation, Bill. Thanks. We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of FieldLink. Be sure to subscribe to the FieldLink podcast on your favorite platform. And don't miss our one-year anniversary episode next time as we look forward to bringing you insight from growers, agronomists, and industry leaders from the Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida. Thanks for listening to this episode of FieldLink. FieldLink.